Well, church family, you are in for a treat today. Buckle up. It is my privilege to introduce our youth pastor, Pastor Anthony Coda. Dang, I was, I almost cried first service and now you guys almost got me there too, man. Wow. Man, I love you guys. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Pastor Anthony and um, I have the best job here at the church because I get to be the youth pastor. So um, kids, can you guys just make a little bit of noise real quick just, just to let them know you're here? And I, I have the best job. I always tell people I have the best job in the world, not because of how amazing the kids are, because they are, um, not just because I get to see some eyes open for the first time, some ears open for the first time, not because of that, but it's because I know deep within my soul that I am God's workmanship, that I've been created in Christ for good works, that he had predetermined beforehand that I should walk in them. And I know that one of the good works for me to walk in in my life is to be a youth pastor to these amazing kids. And so that's why I say I have the best job is because I know that I'm called to it and I'm just grateful because of that. I really am. Um, my heart, just so you guys know where, where me and my wife come from, is um, we don't have a background of growing up in church. Uh, it was more of a background of kind of, you know, one, one foot in, one foot out. I was doing hokey pokey with Jesus for a long time. And, um, you know, then I just, I, I guess it played long enough, but then when it got to the part where it was like, you put your whole self in, God just stopped the record because... I never left, but um, I really just, uh, I, got a, I got a word on my heart and I want to share with you, uh, but I really just, I'm, over, I'm overwhelmed, honestly. Like, I'm literally trying to gather my brain right now because I feel so supported and so loved. Um, I preached a bunch of times before, but I've been saying it this morning, I feel the most supported. I feel the most prayed for. I feel the most encouraged, the most loved, and the most accepted that I ever have. And that's because of you guys. Like, I really appreciate you guys for accepting us and loving us and just welcoming us. Um, I say that all that great stuff about being God's workmanship in Christ for good works because the story that I'm gonna share with you guys, the passage was about another group of people who had the exact same calling on their life. If you don't know, if you haven't figured it out by now, but if you're breathing, you have that call on your life. That's, that's a truth about you. And, uh, but what'll happen a lot of times is the enemy is totally aware that we have callings on our lives. He's totally aware of the fact that there are good works that God has already mapped all the way out. And he knows that God has been to our tomorrow but the enemy, the enemy doesn't know all the details like God does, but he knows enough, at least to motivate him to try to stop us from accomplishing what God has called us to accomplish. Now, he doesn't hold the candle to my Lord and Savior, and so there's nothing that he could do, but what he can try to do is he can try to convince us to stop ourselves. And the best way that he tries to do that is he tries to create strongholds in our minds, hoping that we won't notice, and then before it's too late, now we've created a prison that we've trapped ourselves in. 
But I want you to know today that no matter how big the stronghold may seem, and no matter how scary the cage may seem, the reality is, is that if you were just to look away from how you're looking and look at Jesus, you would see him standing outside of an open door, and you could just gladly walk out anytime you will, please. I understand that one of the easiest ways that he could get us focusing on the wrong thing is to try to create a feeling or, or a, a sense of lack in our lives. And when we're not thinking about Jesus, it's really easy for us to feel like we're lacking something. But I want you to know today that Jesus is enough, that he's more than enough, that as long as you have Christ in your corner, there's nothing that you're lacking. There's no support that you need from anyone else or anything else. There's no other type of provision. There's no other thing to sustain you that is necessary other than Christ and Christ alone. You know, it blows my mind because a lot of things, we look at a lot of things like they're going to save us. But the last I checked, the only thing that is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe is the gospel of Christ. It's the only thing that can save and nothing else can. It's the only thing as powerful as it is. It's on its own level. It's its own thing altogether. And when life really becomes about what it really is about, which is Jesus, your life gets put into two categories. Everything can be put into two categories. There is the sustenance, the thing that sustains you. And then there's the supplements, the stuff that you might not necessarily need, but it's nice to have. Well, I want you to know that the sustenance in your life, the thing that sustains you, the thing that if you weren't able to consume, you would die is Jesus. And I'm not talking about a spiritual death here. I'm talking about, or I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about a spiritual death. Because the truth is, is the only death that really matters is the spiritual death. Because there ain't no physical death anymore. Because we're going to be with him forever and ever. So I'm not worried about passing on from this place. I'll gladly skip my happy self into heaven because it's going to be great there and I'm not afraid to go there. But in the meantime, what can happen is while we're still down here making our pilgrimage to our, our final resting place with him forever and ever, we could be tempted to look at things the wrong way, to view things with a skewed vision, not to look at things the way that God looks at them, and we can convince ourselves that his ways are still not our ways and his thoughts are still not our thoughts. But I have news for you though. Because you have been born again and because you have a new father in heaven and because you're a new being, you're a new creation in Christ, his thoughts now are your thoughts and his ways now are your ways. You have been blessed with the mind of Christ. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You know that you were predestined for adoption, that God always meant all along for you to be adopted into his family. And I have news for you. When the adoption papers went in, God got full custody in the custody hearing, not just weekends and holidays. He got full custody of you. You're all his, every bit of you. But there are potentials in our lives. There's potential and discomfort is one of the greatest ways for us to feel like we don't have something that we really need. I think of a group of people that God saved from the clutches of bondage and slavery. And uh, it was through a man named Moses. And we know that Jesus is the greater Moses. And so just as Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt and he led them through the Red Sea, past their adversary, and now into the wilderness to obtain a promise just as God used Jesus to take us out of the bondage and slavery of sin. And now we get to live a new life with him living on the inside of us, guided and purposed for how he always meant for us to be all along. And we're headed somewhere too. And that place is an even better promised land. 
Everything here on earth is but a shadow of what is to come. It's just the closest representation. And when I think of that, I think of the, the, the turmoil and the toil that the Israelites were taken out of in Egypt. And so I realize that that is just a glimpse into the potential of the destruction that I was taken out of at one point in my life. But then when I look and I see the land of flowing with milk and honey, I also realize that that is also a shadow of the real thing that is waiting for me for eternity. And so we should all have a great expectation because the, the, the truth is, is that there, there is a great end. And the ends always justify the means, amen? Especially when God is behind it. But the enemy knows that though. He's really aware of that. He's fully aware of God being the, the source and the reason behind the plans that he has for us. And while God may be the only one that knows them, he doesn't stop him from trying to stop them. It doesn't, it doesn't keep him from at least making an attempt. And the best way he does it is to get our minds off track, is to get our minds off of Jesus. And uh, while they were journeying through the wilderness, towards the beginning of their journey, the Israelites, this was like six weeks into them being in the wilderness, by the way. So it was six weeks after they got taken out of slavery, they start to complain about being hungry. And they complain and they complain and they complain. And they even get to the point where they start to talk about Egypt as something good. Have you ever been to a place where it just a little bit of time passes and you get a little uncomfortable and you start to look at your life when you were wrapped up in issues and mess before Jesus saved you and you start kind of looking at it through that lens of nostalgia? You start thinking that, oh, certain areas look better or maybe even try to convince yourself that you had more freedom when you weren't free in Christ because you could do all the stuff you want to do. And so that's exactly what they were doing. And what ended up happening is God ended up providing because he is a God who provides. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And because he provided, he provided them with manna. He gave them manna from heaven. He literally made food fall from the sky for them to eat every day. And it was a miracle and it was amazing and everybody rejoiced and celebrated. I thought that was the last time they would go through something like that. It turns out that it wasn't. <laughs> and so I want to actually share a little bit from Numbers 11, because we're going to see a reoccurring theme with um, our good friends, the Israelites. So Numbers 11, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. I want to stop there actually because even in this moment of them just being complainers and being disobedient like all heck, because we all know, I want you to know that it's never God's will. God didn't give you a tongue so that you can complain and speak death over yourself. God gave you a tongue so because he knew that the power of life and death, he wants you to speak life. He wants you to choose to speak life over your situation. You might even have the thought, but don't allow it to turn into actually words leaving your mouth. You know that you can have a lot of negative thoughts, but they don't have to translate to negative words. You know, you could stop them. That's why are the weapons of our warfare, that they're not carnal, but they're mighty for the tearing down of strongholds. Well, the stronghold begins in the thought, in the mind. And if you tear that thing down before it can come out of your mouth, you're going to be a whole lot better off. You know, it's the opposite of God's will for us to complain. Literally, 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that. It reminds us that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. Don't ever stop praying. Don't ever stop talking to God. Always have him in every situation and circumstance. He's there, so you might as well talk to him about what's going on. But it also reminds us to give thanks in every circumstance. Because this is the will for God of us in Christ Jesus. So they're literally living in the opposite direction of the will of God in this moment by complaining for what they had. And what I realized is because they were focusing on the wrong things. It's really, really hard to complain when I'm looking at Christ. 
It's really difficult. I have to try to complain when I'm looking at Jesus. And so instead of allowing us to get convinced of looking at a lack or an issue or a problem, I really just want us to try to focus on his feet because a lot of us, we make the gesture of looking down when we look at his feet, but because his throne is far above all my problems and issues, I'm actually looking up past all the problems. You know, isn't that awesome that, that even, because it says, you know, set your mind on things above and not on the things below. But even if I feel like I'm doing the worst job possible, which would be to be focusing on the bottom of his foot, I'm still far above all my issues and problems. So I'm still good. He's that good. He's that good where he made it possible for us to be successful, even if we're just by barely just a little bit. It's still enough. It's still enough. But this, this group, they're complaining and they're, they're crying out. If we can get the slide back up. And I'm going to go through the rest of the passage because this is just, it encouraged the heck out of me and I pray it does too. And actually, before I go forward, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I just, I'm zealous. Let me pray. <laughs> you think, right? See, I'm getting ahead of myself already. I'm just so excited. I get, this is what Jesus does to me though. I get excited. I can't help it. So Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, and I thank you that you're outside of time and space. So Father, you bless the words that I have already said. Out, uh, before the prayer, Lord, and I thank you that you're going to bless every word after it, God. Father, I just pray that you do a mighty work in our hearts, Lord, that you build our confidence, God, and that you allow us, Lord, to just rest, to just rest in your finished work, Father. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you guys could get past that and just forgive me for moving past it. So it says, then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So we called the name of the place Taborah because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. I want you to pay attention to that. They yielded to intense craving. We'll get back to that. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. Some translations say our, all of our strength has dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. So there's a few things that are kind of weird. And um, we'll stay here for a second. But it's just a few things that just don't really sit well with me. And I think some of us have a tendency to do stuff like this sometimes. So I just want to, I want to be wise because wisdom is just being able to learn from the mistakes of someone else. So I want us to be wise today. And I love stories like this because I could look back in it and I can see myself in it, but I could realize, oh, I don't need to be like that because I've been crucified with Christ and it's him that's living in me. So I can, I can do things a little better than they did. So the first thing that I want to point out to you is that it says that they yielded to the intense craving that they had. And another word for an intense craving, we could just break it down and call it, it is what it is. If it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's a duck. And so in this case, if it's a strong craving, if it's an intense craving, if it's a deep desire, that just means it's a lust. And so they were lusting after something that was contrary to what God was giving them. They were looking at the gift of God and they didn't know the gift of God. Because for those of us who have hindsight, it's awesome. I'm so happy I have hindsight. I'm so happy that the word of God is complete and I can, I can have it all because they didn't have it all at this time. But I can look back in retrospect and I can understand that this manna isn't just some seed on the ground. No, it was Jesus. Because Jesus says, I am the manna that fell from heaven. I am the bread of life. And so if I understand what they're really looking at, 
is Jesus and his wholeness and his fullness. And they're saying, that's not enough. I need this other thing. I need this plus Jesus. Jesus is nice and I'll settle for him when all my other plans fail through. I'll go to church when I have nothing better to do. Yeah, sure, I'll show up. I got nothing else to do. I guess I'll just go to church. No, they were settling for it, but they were seeking something else. I don't want us to fall victim to the temptation of it kind of getting like on this autopilot mode where we're no longer seeking his holiness. We're no longer seeking his righteousness. The Bible tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all else will be added to you. But we could get so caught up in trying to chase other stuff that God never intended for us to work so hard to get. It's really easy. He actually made it super easy. He told us. He told us, he, he told us like he told the disciples. Disciples are worrying about things and he's like, why are you worrying about what you're gonna eat? Why are you worrying about what you're gonna drink? I take care of the birds in the sky. I dress the lilies with beauty and splendor. Solomon and all of his radiance didn't even look as good as the flowers. And he reminds them and he tells them to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else is gonna find its way to you. Everything else that you need that is. Because we could convince ourselves that wants if they're strong enough, they can start to look like a need. And that's when we need to renew our minds with some areas of some things. Some things we need to renew our mind and we need to realize that we really don't need it as bad as we think we do. We're really not as dependent on it as we think we are. I need to tell myself that about caffeine because I tell myself I'm dependent on caffeine. And the truth is that if I got the Holy Ghost, I don't need no caffeine. That's just, I'm just preaching to myself right now. I'll tell you, man, it was hard. I had to get up early this morning for first service. But what we can do is we can convince ourselves that we don't, we don't have everything that we need. But if we have Christ, we do. It's more than enough. But the enemy, he likes to try to kill stuff. He likes to steal things, likes to destroy things. He's very destructive. He's just evil. He smells bad. I don't like him. And, um, you know, I really feel like the greatest way that he's kind of launched this whole train of thought of, of us needing something on top of Christ is he just has this massive smear campaign going on with, with his image. And what can happen a lot of times is we can, we can really not have like our own solid understanding of God's word or who he is or how he is. And we could just take everybody else's word for it. And then we have like this really weird, like Picasso version of Jesus that really isn't even in the Bible. And we can start like assigning things to him that he never did. Or we can start giving him credit for stuff that the enemy's actually really behind. And then I'm mad at God and I'm turning away from him because God did that bad thing to me. And I have to face facts though, that it's not God doing anything bad to me because he's good all of the time. And he's faithful, even if I'm faithless. And so I need to realize that there's somebody else that I need to assign the blame for. The way I look at it is if the devil got so jealous of God that he wanted the glory that God was giving, I'll give him credit for what he's doing. I'll give him credit for every bad thing under the sun. I'll be like, good job, devil, you're doing all that evil stuff. But I'm certainly not gonna look at my Lord or my savior and try to say that he's behind any of it. You don't think it's weird we're wired to do that? Like, think about it. What do they call natural disasters? They call them acts of God. A tornado don't sound like an act of God to me. Destruction doesn't sound like an act of God to me. Famine doesn't sound like an act of God to me. Lack does not sound like an act of God to me. It sounds like an act of the devil to me. That doesn't sound like the kingdom coming. That doesn't sound nothing like the kingdom. But what will happen is, is how do we sound? How are we allowing ourselves to sound in the moments of discomfort? And how good of a witness is that being to those that don't know the love of the father? 
Because I'm gonna tell you something right now, before I was a Christian, I had more Christian friends that would complain more than my friends that were in the world. And I used to think like, I don't wanna be a Christian, you complain more than these people do. And you're supposed to have like this awesome, amazing Jesus that can do everything and he's the answer to all things. And you can do all things through Christ except stop complaining. And I'm like, what? Like there was a disconnect there. And I realized that like, we have so much influence that we're not even aware of. I would think maybe, cause here's the deal. God gave us, obviously gave, our, gave us our mouths to take authority over things, right? To whatever you loose in heaven will be loose. Whatever you, whatever you bind will be bound. So he's given us that authority, but he's also given us the ability to do something that nobody else can do, that nothing else can do. We can carry the message that can save souls. We get to relay the message to save souls. It's so awesome. Why do you think Paul was so zealous when he was like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Because I feel like some of us are, are a little ashamed of the gospel and we're more comfortable sharing whatever else we can share. I feel like, I feel like I'm more like, sometimes it's, it's more uh, uh, comfortable to share a testimony of like a sports team and how great they are than how Jesus and the angels just jacked up the kingdom of hell and it's been rendered powerless and I'm a child of God and I've been set free forever. Like, man, I mean... I'm as big of a Lakers fan as anybody else here in California, but I'll tell you something right now. Like LeBron is nice and it's cool. We just got Westbrook and that's cool and all. But man, Jesus and all the angels and heaven. And I, I mean, I just feel like that's just way better. I feel like it's way more exciting. I feel like it's way more empowering. And you know what the best part about it is that it's an open invitation. It really is. Something I tell my kids all the time is that God's not complicated. We are. We complicate stuff. We add steps to things. Just like the Israelites, they're sitting there, they have the manna, they have everything they need, and they're like, man, we gotta add to this. We gotta, we need this too. We've got this all-sustaining, all-providing thing, and it's awesome and amazing, and it comes through. We don't have to work for it at all. All we gotta do is just get it and break it down and eat it. But no, we want this other thing that we're fantasizing about. I just, I, 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 I see it too much. I see it in my life. And I was sitting with the Lord about it and I was just asking him like, what, what's the deal? Why, why, do we, why do we have a tendency to do this? And he made it real, real simple. He's just like, they just don't know the depth, the width, the size, the vastness of my all sufficiency, of my love, of the fact that I've already taken care of everything that you're ever gonna need to worry about. That you don't need to worry anymore. Cause that's the quickest way that he gets us to live in disobedience is a place of desperation. Jesus said for us to rest. He said, if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling weighed down, come to me and I'll give you rest. But the devil, the devil wants the opposite for us. He wants us to be living in desperation mode and out of lack. He wants us to feel like we need something extra, something more. And that was exactly what the Israelites fell victim to. They had this mindset. It was unrepentive. See, the word repent, dude, I used to cringe when I heard that word because I thought I was in trouble every time I heard it. And I was like, man, they're talking about repentance. Oh no. I started sweating. I'm like, man. But then I realized really it's, it's not. Like repentance is actually not as bad as, as, we, uh, as we give it. Repentance is just looking at things for the truth. They're really looking at things for, for the truth that, that surpasses the facts. There was something God told me this morning. I want to share it with you. God reminded me that he's not so concerned with us being so factual all the time, but he wants us to be more faithful. He reminded me that when the facts come and we need to face the facts, 
that we need to allow the facts to actually face our faith and our faith will actually relay the truth to the facts and the facts have to crumble underneath the weight of the truth of God. That made me feel good this morning on the stair stepper. I'm like, thank you, Lord, you're amazing. <laughs> so the enemy, he can't, he can't stop us. We give him too much credit sometimes. But again, what he can do is he can try to convince us to mess ourselves up. We could try to convince us to stop ourselves. We actually can't even mess ourselves up because we've been perfected in Christ. And since we've been perfected in Christ, we can't even mess ourselves up because I can't mess up what God already made perfect. I can try as I may, but the beautiful thing is, is that even when I'm messing up, grace abounds the more. Again, yeah, yeah, not, not so we keep doing it, but we've been over this before. People had no problem sinning before we were preaching grace. They were doing it just fine. They were, they were really good at it. They're really good at it still. You know, another thing that irks me, honestly, I'm just, I'm just shooting from the hip with you guys right now. All this talk about generational curses. I'm going back to the family that I'm a part of now, and I'm part of the lineage of Christ. And the last time I checked, there are no generational curses in Christ's bloodline. So there's no generational curses for me to break. I see like the Facebook post, like it ran in my family till it ran into me. Such a prideful statement. No, it ran into your family until it ran into Jesus, all right? Jesus dealt with it. It ran into, it ran into Jesus 2,000 years ago, and then it got hit with a nail and clumped on the cross, and it got, it got left there. I'm so glad that when Jesus was, was buried and when he was resurrected, he didn't come back up with any of my old crap. But the thing I don't want us to do is I don't want us to try to do it when he didn't do it. Just because the meat was good for a season. Because those of you who know your Bible really well, Exodus, they got the manna and they got the meat. They got the manna in the morning and the quail in the evening. And they became very comfortable with that. They liked their living situation. But then this is about two and a half years later, right after them leaving Mount Sinai, they're, they're walking from camp to camp. And I mean, oh, never mind the fact that God is literally, God is literally making their enemies scatter as they move. And then they're camping and then his protection is camping with them. Never mind that. Never mind the fact that God is not only providing you, but he's protecting and sustaining me, right? That's not enough. So now they, they have the, the coriander seed and they're looking at it. And it's like this seed that's like translucent. It's like a white color. And they can't eat it the way that it's given to them. They got to break it down and they've got to work it a little bit and they make it into a cake and they bake it. Well, I mean, if the manna is Jesus and Jesus is the word of God, that's just pointing to what we ought to do with our Bibles. Because there's fresh manna every morning. I don't know if you guys noticed, but this right here never runs bare. This thing has so much in it. You can eat and eat and eat every single day and you'll never run dry. Your cupboards will always be full when you're eating on this thing. I don't know about you, but I won't live by bread alone. I'll live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because the truth is, is I'm, if I'm consuming the wrong things, then I'll die. But if I'm consuming this, I'll live forever. But they didn't get it though. They didn't see it that way. They didn't view the manna as, as how we have an opportunity to view it. That's just how good God is. His goodness is just ever increasing. So there was a level of goodness at that point, but now we have even more of it. We have all of it. They didn't have all of it yet. It was coming, but we literally have all of it. We have an opportunity 
We have an opportunity to make sure that we don't look at the manna as something common or unspecial, that we don't look at the word of God, that we don't look at Jesus in our life as something that's just, eh, whatever, okay. We, we should never be more excited about Jesus when we first get saved than when we're saved 10, 20, 30 years down the line. If anything, we should grow in our excitement. The Bible tells us why, because it's in, in it, the, the message of Christ, our, our understanding of it, in it, the, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So that means that as I grow, my excitement should grow, my fire should grow, my zeal should grow. And you know what else should grow? My trust. You know that, oh man, okay, I need to make sure I end this right because I got about 10 minutes and I have a lot. So anyway, but I really wanna, I wanna point this out though. They had the manna, but they were uncomfortable with it. They didn't trust the fact that the manna was everything that they needed. They didn't trust that it was all sufficient. So they weren't trusting in the Lord with all their heart. They were leaning on their own understanding. They had actually developed a crutch a dependency on something that wasn't Christ. God is never ever going to be okay with us building a dependency on anything other than him. Because he knows that if we decide to do that, we're setting ourselves up to be let down. God only wants us to build our hope upon things that will not let us down. He's the only one though. And so we can get the lines blurred and crossed and we can begin to mistake a supplement in our life for the sustenance of our life. And they viewed the supplement as the all necessary needed thing, but God was telling them it's no longer needed. There is a time for everything. And I believe that there was a season where the meat was good for the Israelites, but I also believe that that season changed and God was allowing them to enter into a season of deeper dependency on him and his provision alone no longer leaning on the natural provision that was readily available through the animals. No, but he wanted them to be fully dependent on what he was providing because he was taking them somewhere. He was taking them to the promised land. He was taking them to a greater challenge. There's one challenge to walk through the wilderness and be provided for. It's another to be met with giants and wildlife and be told, this is yours, go and take it. If I'm not fully reliant on my God, that has provided for me and protected me and sustained me all along. I don't know if my mind is prepared to take that step in faith. Now we know that they obviously weren't because they spent 40 years doing something they should have done in four days. And it's really unfortunate. But what ends up happening in this story is as they cried out to God and as they focused on the wrong thing, as they looked at the lack or at least what seemed like a lack, what they did is God eventually heard them and they eventually found themselves surrounded by the thing that they were lusting after. And that's what'll happen. Is any time we choose to become infatuated and obsessed and start to idolize anything other than God, we will certainly find ourselves surrounded by it. It's not hard to find. Whatever it is, whether it's women, drink, drugs, whatever it is, you, and, and you'll never run out of shows to watch to numb you and to keep you busy and distracted. Netflix is always coming out with new shows all the time. There's no shortage of content for us to consume. But the only content that God ever deemed worthy for us to consume was his word. That's the number one content. But if we're not filled up on that, then that means we're filled up with something else. 
I mean, what do I look like putting oil and water in my gas tank in my truck? I'm going to try to start that thing and it's going to blow up on me. God wants us operating on all cylinders. God gave me this image of a race car. And I was seated in the race car. And I had my foot on the gas pedal. And he reminded me, he said, the power in the vehicle might not be yours. But you have all authority to press the gas pedal. You have all authority to tap in to the power. You might not be the car. But you have full access to the car. We have full access to the power of God. We have full access to the authority. We have everything that we need. I'm glad that he'll meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory. But I don't want to confuse an intense want for a need. Some of us may feel like Jesus is enough as long as I'm also getting recognition from them. Jesus is enough as long as I get the microphone every couple weeks. Jesus is enough as long as I have this car, as long as I have this money in my bank account, as long as I have this respect at my job place, as long as I get this from this person, it's all transactional, but it's all extra. I thank God for the supplements in my life, family, friends, my wife, my vehicle, my, my food in my house, my roof over my head. I'm, I'm glad for the supplements, but I never look at them as my sustenance though. I always understand that God is provider and sustainer. That if I don't have him, then I have nothing. And I know that as long as I have him, I lack no good thing. I want for nothing. There's a reason why Paul was talking about that. He's saying, you know, I've I've become a base in every circumstance. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm glad that you're expressing need or or concern for me, but I'm, I'm good. I'm good because I know that no matter how much I have to eat or how little, I'll be all right because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll get by. I'll do more than get by. I'll flourish. I'll thrive. God isn't just about living. It's life and life more abundantly. I'm almost out of time, so I want to make sure I get to, get to my main points because this story is so good. Anyway, they end up getting the thing they want. They get surrounded by it. You know what happens? They work 36 hours straight gathering it. Why does it seem like people are more willing to work really hard doing something that God never asked them to do? I mean, I'm just speaking for myself sometimes. Like, I realize it. Sometimes I catch myself doing it. Like, God never told me to do something, but I'm trying to do it, and I'm just going at it full steam. and And I wonder why I'm feeling exhausted and run down and just overworked. You know that it's okay to say no every once in a while, right? You know that God hasn't called you to everything? And it's okay every once in a while to, to be like, you know what, actually I can't do that. I, I'm preaching to myself right now because I'm, I'm a yes man at heart. I like making everybody happy. So, but I want to make God happy more than I want to make anybody else happy. That's why I'm up here and, I'm, and, and the good job Pastor Anthony's are going to be awesome. But the well done my good and faithful servant is going to mean way more to me. But sometimes in order to get the well done, you got to tell somebody, hey, I'm done. I can't. I got to go home. My wife misses me. She hasn't seen me in a week. You know, I got to rest. I haven't slept in three days. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. God's got plenty of hands and feet. If he's got cattle on a thousand hills, I'm pretty sure he's got some workers for him too. Okay? So we just got to all do our part though. But you don't have to say yes to everything. I'm speaking of like, 
a part of the congregation here because some of us could actually pick up a shovel and start digging too, you know, because the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. But it's just if we had more laborers, then we wouldn't have any laborers working overtime. I'm getting into another subject now with this whole COVID help wanted on every storefront thing. But anyway, for a season, the meat might have been necessary. But not everything is always good. God's the only thing that's always good. God's the only thing that's good all the time. But as there is a time for everything, there's also a time where certain things that may have benefited you in a previous season, when you enter a new season, it might no longer benefit you. It might not be something that you need in this new season. And that goes for everything. There are some relationships that you're gonna enter into a new season, you're gonna realize I can't drag that along with me. You're gonna realize that some mindsets that you might have, you can't drag those into a new place that God is taking you to. And I bring up the cross earlier because there's a reason why he didn't bring any of your hindrances or your faults along with him when he rose from the dead. It's because it serves as a model for us as we grow from faith to faith, we don't need to take our junk and our problems from the previous season along with us either. That would just weigh you down and slow you down. I'm gonna wrap with this. Cause this is like one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus was telling them in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He goes on to say who the son has made free is free indeed. I want you to know that the number one defense against potentially feeling like you don't have something that you need, lie by the way, that's the whole point of the message today. If you have Jesus, he's enough. Somebody asks you, what'd you learn at church today? Jesus is enough, I learned that. That'll preach. But we have to know the truth. But the only way I can know the truth is if I know his word and I know what it says. Cause then when I'm fearful, I can build my faith in that area where I have fear. And I can understand that I have nothing to be afraid of. That if I'm feeling troubled, guess what? Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Awesome, I've, I've got a peace that surpasses understanding. My heart doesn't need to be troubled when I feel like something's wrong. Because if it really was, I know that he would address it and take care of it. But I'm okay, I'm still living. They end up getting the quail. They end up working 36 hours for it. They end up getting so much of it. God said that they would, it'd be falling out of their ears. He'd give them so much. And he did, he was faithful to, to come through on that. And what ends up happening is while it's still in their teeth, they didn't even get to swallow one bite. This is crazy. They work all that time. It says that the person that got the least amount of quail got 10 days worth which is a lot. They fall to a plague right as they're chewing on the first bites. Which just, it takes me back. I was talking to Katie before service and she confirmed something that God showed me a, a day ago, which is the same situation that happened in the garden. They had everything that they needed. Adam and Eve had everything they needed. But then there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the enemy comes up and he says, hey, you're lacking this thing. If you eat this, you won't lack it anymore. And that's exactly what he can do to us. Is he can come up to us and say, hey, I know you have Jesus, but you know, you'll feel better if you uh, do this too. If you have this too, if you obtain this too. But what can happen is it can turn into an obsession and anything that turns into an obsession can lead to our demise, can lead to death. Why does the path to destruction, right? Every Turner Burn preacher loves that verse. 
wide is the path to destruction, narrow is the way. Yeah, narrow is the way, narrow as J-E-S-U-S. I'm so glad it's narrow as five letters. I'm glad that it's narrow as one man. Telling you, but if you don't know, you hear that and you get scared. And now you're wrapped in the bondage of feeling like, man, if I just mess up one time, there goes my salvation. And you end up coming every Sunday getting saved again and again and again and again and again. And Jesus is back on the cross. Or whatever. I, I'm sorry, but I don't preach a Jesus that's on the cross, bloodied and battered. I preach a Jesus that's sitting on the throne forever and ever. I preach a Jesus that is living in intercession for me. Man, I wish I had more time. But I don't. Okay. I'm going to close with this because I want to respect our children's workers because they're amazing and they're the backbone of this church. And there's nothing that could happen without them. Ignorance is not bliss. The world will try to convince us that it is. But the truth is, is Jesus said it better when he said that my people perish for lack of knowledge. And it is not the will of the Father for any to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. That's why he so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son so that we could have the saving knowledge. The saving knowledge. So today, I don't know where you are, but I just want to encourage you. Reevaluate the areas of your life and understand that even in the moments when you feel yourself thinking, well, it used to be like this. I used to do this. I used to have that. They used to do this for me. They used to encourage me here or whatever. At the end of the day, they might go, that job might go, that position might go, that car might go, that provision might go, whatever it may, it may seem like is important might go, but God never leaves and he never forsakes and he always comes through every time. Don't allow the enemy to try to use your memory against you. Because sometimes we remember stuff the wrong way. So if you're in this place today and you truly haven't ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that there is such an inheritance waiting for you on the other end of your guests. And I want to encourage you to take that step out in faith because every step in faith is headed in the direction of trust. And that's all of us should, should just want is more trust in God. So I'm gonna pray a special blessing over you. I'm gonna also invite the prayer team up here and they're gonna be here to pray with you guys. And they're gonna give you the opportunity if you'd like somebody to, to, to walk you through accepting Christ or if you need prayer for anything, we know that he can do all things. We know that whatever may seem impossible with man, we know is possible with God because with God, all things are possible. So Father, I just thank you, Lord, for everyone here, God. God, I thank you for your word, Lord. Father, I thank you for the chains that have been broken off of some of our perspectives today. Lord, and I thank you that, number one, most importantly, that freedom rings true in this house, Father. Lord, I thank you for the eldership. Lord, I thank you for the children's workers. Lord, I thank you for everyone, Lord, that is, is doing your work and your will in this house, Father. And Father, I just cast the invitation in the name of Jesus Christ. I cast the invitation to all who are far off, come near. To all who feel like they're stuck in darkness, they can come into your marvelous light, Father. I thank you, Lord, that no one comes to you unless they are being drawn by the Father, Jesus. So Jesus, I just ask, Lord, I ask, Lord, for you to tug on the hearts, Lord. Tug on the hearts that need to be tugged on. And I feel the Lord saying this today. Online services during COVID were a very nice supplement, but 
the assembly of the saints is the true sustenance. And so I hear the Lord saying, Someone watching that live stream, it's time for you to come back home. It's time for you to come back to the church, to the body, in-person worship. So I don't know who that's for. But we are entering into this season where it may have supplemented us for that season. But now we need to get back to the sustenance. Do not neglect the assembly of the brethren. We need you here. God needs you here. So, Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God. We love you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Someone give the Lord a shout of praise.